The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Previously on Tiger. What has been the most difficult adjusting? For me, the lack of privacy, the mm-hmm. loss of privacy. Mm-hmm. It was an absolutely insane choice. Tiger wasn't real eager to spend lots of time. Let me tell you something. Tiger Woods doesn't just play golf, he is golf. He never gave another interview again. I guess you've learned not to tell any jokes around reporters anymore. No, I've, I've learned my lesson the hard way. In the summer of 1990, reporter Jaime Diaz decided it was time to meet Tiger Woods. Tiger wasn't a cover star yet, or a Nike athlete, or even a pro golfer. Tiger was just a 14-year-old kid. But he was also a standout young golfer who'd just won his fifth Junior World Championship title, and people were starting to notice him and his competitiveness. Sort of brings me through in the clutch. Um, when you have to uh, make a putt, you make a putt. You have to hit the shot, you hit the shot. That's Babyface Tiger in an interview taped around this time for the British TV program Transworld Sport. You just sort of like drop into another zone and uh, you block out everything. That's really helped me. Jaime convinced his editors at Golf Digest to fly him from the East Coast to Southern California to write a profile on this Tiger Woods kid. To get to Tiger, Jaime placed a call to Earl Woods, who gladly agreed to an interview and suggested the three of them play a round of golf. So Jaime flew west, rented a car, and drove to the golf course. Tiger and Earl were waiting in the parking lot when he pulled up. Here's how Jaime remembers it. Earl was out front, uh, shaking hands and greeting me, and Tiger was sort of lingering in the back. I think I got the sense even then that Tiger was naturally shy, but also a little bit, uh, I don't want to say tired, but, you know, pretty much uh, felt like he was going to be, you know, to some extent exploited a little bit by the media. I'm Jordan Bell, and this is All American from Stitcher. Season one, Tiger. And today, how one reporter got to know Tiger before the rest of the world did. This reporter, Jaime Diaz, had some of the rarest access ever to Tiger Woods and his family. And this access allowed Jaime to watch firsthand how quickly fame caused Tiger to insulate himself from the world. Episode 2, The Coronation. 
Albert, hello. Hey, Jordan. So you actually know Jaime Diaz from the world of sports journalism. Yeah. When I was just starting out at Sports Illustrated, Jaime was a senior writer there. And yeah, I was hoping he'd agree to talk to us for this episode because among golf writers, Jaime has known Tiger and his family longer than just about anyone. Yeah, and thankfully, Jaime did agree to speak with us, and we dug into his earliest memories of Tiger. Jaime told us that after meeting Tiger and Earl, that they headed to the golf course and started to play. Yeah, and the thing is, Jaime's actually good at golf. (laughs) He played in college, and, you know, if you're Jaime, the challenge is making Tiger feel comfortable because you want him to open up. So... The golf course is actually the perfect place for Jaime and Tiger to get to know one another. And Jaime told us that, as he remembers it now, that when the three of them, Earl, Tiger, and Jaime, first started to play, Tiger seemed a little off. Like, he wasn't all that comfortable. Well, at first he was kind of somber. In fact, he was a little nervous, I think, uh, because uh, he missed, I remember he missed like a three-foot putt on the first hole, which was, you know, Tiger would go a whole season after as a pro and not miss a three-footer. Uh, but he missed a hole, and, you know, I didn't say anything. Uh, but then I think he missed another putt on the second hole, like a five-footer, and he and his dad kind of went off and just kind of had a little talk. It wasn't, any, it wasn't at all an angry talk. It was, I think, Earl just trying to calm him down a little bit. Or it's, a, it's okay, son, you know, you know something. I, I wasn't listening in, but I could tell, you know, he, he probably was trying a little too hard because he – not because of me, but just because it was Golf Digest and he wanted to make a good impression. Right. Did he did he open up after that or change? Yeah. Well, what happened, he, he, he hit a couple of really good shots. And I think it just relaxed him. And, and I missed <laughs> I started hitting it bad. And so not that he was competing with me, but I became kind of a little bit of a somebody he could make fun of. And, and that was, I was happy to play that game. After nine holes, Earl left Jaime and Tiger to play the back nine alone. As Tiger and Jaime worked their way along the course, Tiger started to loosen up. He, you know, he had a boyish sense of humor. I do recall, like, with about five holes to go, he goes, we got to have a match. And uh, I said, what are we going to play for? And he goes, uh, we'll play for ABC Gum. And, uh, and I said, uh, okay, whatever. You know, I, I didn't know exactly what that was. And we weren't that close. I would have asked what was ABC Gum. But I just recall that he was kind of walking in a different direction. And I said, okay, we'll just leave it at that. It's not, it wasn't money. And then, uh, so I lost. Uh, and and on, on 18, I go, okay, so what I owe you? He goes, ABC gum. I said, well, what is it? He goes, gum that's already been chewed, which really a corny joke, but that was, you know, and he, he thought that was funny. And, you know, he was a kid, but even for a kid, he, I mean, he just liked the obvious jokes. And uh, and I, I remember asking him once, you know, his favorite uh, comic was, and he said, George Carlin, a lot of wordplay in George Carlin. So it seemed like you did a great job of just like making him feel comfortable with you, which, uh, you know. Oh, it yeah. was easy. It was easy. But I mean, like, I, I was think like very most sports yeah. writers in that situation would have a very difficult time, right? I don't know. I, I think some of it is I, I look at I've always felt really comfortable on the golf course. And I just felt like I was in my element. And I think he could tell that I was comfortable. And so it was going to we were going to be two golfers more than a reporter and a subject. And I think that's how he, that's how it sort of broke down in terms of our interaction. Tiger's boyish humor was on full display, but so was his curiosity and his golf IQ. 
He started peppering Jaime with questions about the professional golf world and the best players within it. His questions were very sophisticated and pointed. He really wanted to know about technique and he wanted to know about, you know, uh, the way they traveled and the way they uh, practiced and, you know, just what it was like to be a pro. He was interested in everybody. I mean, Nick Faldo, who the best players were, he, he knew them as well or better than I did. He also wanted to know about older players, you know, Sam Snead and Hogan and, and Nicholas and Palmer. And, and so he was interested in that. And more in terms of, uh, you know, their techniques, because I think he had studied a lot of, he got, he got Golf Digest and he got Golf Magazine. He'd studied a lot of swing sequences. He was interested in being as, have as good a golf swing as possible. When the round was over, Jaime told Tiger that dinner was on the Golf Digest expense account. Pick any place you want. And he goes, oh, let's go to Sizzler. As I I recall, Sizzler was all you could eat. Well, I remember he went back about three times for for steak, you know, just like like a strip steak or something. And, uh, uh, you know, he wasn't engorging himself, but he was like, look, money was an issue. I mean, Earl had, you know, he had a good job and and I think there was enough, but it was expensive to go to all these tournaments. And so when there was a free meal, uh, you know, that was a nice luxury. It was so I, I think he took advantage of that. Uh, anyway, that was, and that was kind of a bonding, I think, uh, moment, just eating and, and talking. And that's when he asked about the media. You know, he goes, well, who are the assholes? In other words, which reporters or publications should Tiger watch out for? And uh, I said, you know, Tiger, everybody makes their own uh, assessment uh, based on their own experience with each individual. I mean, there are guys who have a pattern of being tough and maybe not trustworthy, but they're rare. Most of the, most most writers, if you give them a chance, they'll be more than fair with you. If you're resistant, if you're difficult, you, you'll get less of the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, just common sense stuff. At just 14 years old, Tiger Woods was already thinking about how to navigate the press. I think, yeah, he had a healthy skepticism about it. And I think it was actually born of his dad's uh, experience in media. And Albert, we know that when Earl Woods was younger, he dealt with the media firsthand, working as a public information officer for the U.S. Army in Brooklyn. Yeah, and he taught Tiger to be wary of the media and to never give them more information than they asked for. But Jaime was already building trust with the Woods family. And I said, hey, can we, can we meet tomorrow? And yeah, we'll come. And that's what happened. I come over to the house. And so I did. Jaime headed to the Woods' home the next day on the family's invitation to continue reporting out his profile of Tiger. It was modest in the sense of being kind of a, a small ranch-style uh, home in, in Southern Cal, uh, but a nice neighborhood. It was kind of enclosed off, very, you know, very well-kept, Tita, very meticulous. And uh, there was a lot of Asian kind of motif to, to uh, some, of the, some of the decoration and, and uh, furnishings. This is where Jaime first met Tita, Tiger's mother. Her first name is really Coltita, but she just goes by Tita. She was born and raised in Thailand, which is where she first met Earl in the late 1960s when Earl's army career brought him there. But at the time, Earl had a whole other family in the United States. Eventually, he ended his marriage with his first wife to start a new one with Tita. Tita was uh, initially quiet. I think Tiger took after her more uh, in terms of personality and, uh, and outward personality, certainly, and, and being reticent and a little bit, I won't say withdrawn, but shy to, to say a lot. And Earl was, you know, Earl was the dominant 
personality in the room, even when Tiger was there. So I, I had always noticed this and uh, that she kind of stood back when Earl was, uh, you know, kind of taking the floor. Uh, but once she and I started talking a little bit, I think she could tell that I really had a, a tremendous appreciation for her son and, and what they had done. She could tell I picked up on what made Tiger special. While he was there, Jaime also got to see what Tiger's personal space was like. I did end up going into his room to talk to him a little bit. And that's when I, you know, obviously noticed what's on the wall and those kind of things. And the deal with the Jack Nicholas and the age, you know, that he was, you know, what Jack had achieved at certain ages and Tiger's own measurement against that. Um, I think he had a Michael Jackson uh, poster up and I think he had a, a Star Wars uh, poster up. So Jaime's story ran in the March 1991 issue of Golf Digest, and it was the first proper magazine profile of Tiger ever. Yeah, and the piece talked about the 18 holes they played that day, about the ABC gum joke, (laughs) and about Tiger's family and his home life. But what it really narrowed in on was Tiger's mindset to win. Jaime wrote, he is constantly evaluating his weaknesses. He seems more interested in his few losses than his many victories, instinctively knowing that the lessons he takes from failures will ultimately be his most valuable. Tiger says, I hate to lose, but in golf, everybody loses because it's so hard mentally. Sometimes you get so nervous. I like the feeling of trying my hardest under pressure. It's when I play my best. I think he liked the pressure in the sense that he knew, look, this is going to be my life and I've got to be able to perform under pressure. So, you know, the more pressure I'm under, the more I'll learn how to handle it. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't look at it as a, uh, an unpleasant experience. He looked at it as a learning experience. And I remember him talking about it. He goes, oh, the pressure, man. It's like a lion tearing your heart out. By the time Jaime's story was published, Tiger was a freshman at Western High School in Anaheim, California. He was an excellent student, Albert. And, of course, he kept playing golf. Right. He played on the school's team, and outside of school, he was winning on the U.S. Junior Amateur Circuit. Which was the highest level of golf he could play aside from going pro. And when he was 16, Tiger even played in a professional tournament. Here's a clip from ABC in 1992. In sports, we report tonight on a new face to watch on the golf tour. At the Los Angeles Open this week, some of the largest crowds are bypassing the lights of Tom Weisskopf and Hale Irwin. They're watching Tiger Woods, who had to get permission from his high school for the time off to play. As ABC's Dick Schaap reports tonight, Woods is the youngest player ever to tee off in an official PGA tournament. On the tee from Cypress, California... Amateur Tiger Woods. Two months past his 16th birthday, Eldrick Tiger Woods teed off yesterday in the first round of the Los Angeles Open. A remarkable start to what promises to be a remarkable career. This news profile tells you just how much anticipation there was around Tiger. It's like the world was waiting for him with bated breath. Totally. And to me, it makes it even more meaningful that Jaime Diaz continued to stay in real touch with Tiger during this time. I played with Tiger probably about six or seven times uh, total 
over the years, uh, you know, all all during his teenage years, and it was always great. I, I, I always felt so privileged, and and as time went along, and I could tell how great he was going to be, uh, or it became obvious from his accomplishments. I really felt like I was so lucky that I was actually witnessing history. The 1994 Western High graduating class voted Tiger Woods most likely to succeed, which I don't find surprising because he was insanely good at golf and one of the top students in his class. And Tiger was headed to play golf at Stanford in the fall. It was around this time when Jaime's relationship with Tiger started to change. What happened is Tiger went to Stanford and then Tiger started playing pro pro golf and and you know, I was out there some, but it was it was hard sometimes to to have time with Tiger. And uh, I really fell back willingly and 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 very much in a, a happy way, uh, talking to Earl and Tita and visiting with them sometimes and just getting obviously I was trying to learn more about Tiger and what what his progress was or you know what was going on in his life or learning about Tiger and then interviewing Earl and Tita about what I had learned. They knew sometimes Tiger was going to be uh, scrutinized and that there were times he was going to make a mistake and that I, I never sensed that, you know, you can't write about this. They just wanted me to be fair. And and it was a little bit of tension. Obviously, it's always, it's always precarious to become friends with people you're covering. Okay, let's clarify what Jaime means here. You know, what's so precarious about journalists befriending the people they cover? So much of sports journalism, it's all about access. As a reporter, you want to develop relationships. You want to develop sources. And over time, you hang out with them. You text with them. You start talking about what you're watching on Netflix. (laughs) I mean, it it can turn into something that feels kind of, yeah, like a, a friendship. But this is a job, and your job is to write objective stories that are honest, and sometimes they have to be critical. And Jaime's relationship to the Woods family, I mean, how unique do you think that was? Well, on the one hand, journalists becoming close and developing trust with their sources, that happens all the time. But this relationship between Jaime and the Woods family, it's really special because of what Tiger becomes. Jaime didn't know it at the time, but this kid, this kid he was playing golf with, he was about to become one of the most famous people in the world. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. 
White Castle. Follow your crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What do you hope to uh, maybe, uh, what, what do you see for your future? My future right now is uh, six years of school and then I'll turn pro and uh, hopefully I'll accomplish my goals on tour that I want to do. So that's Tiger at 16 being interviewed by a local Chicago TV reporter. And I guess what's not very clear to me is when Tiger says, then I'll turn pro, he knows he's going to turn pro. But I don't actually know. How does someone become a professional golfer? <laughs> well, golf golf is a complicated sport. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, the official golf rule book, it's over 150 pages long. And... You know, to become a pro competing every weekend on the PGA Tour, mm -hmm. well, you have a couple options. You can either do well enough on what's called the Nationwide Tour, which is like a minor leagues of golf, or you can qualify through something called Q School, Q for qualifying. Gotcha. Yeah. And I read that the Nationwide Tour is now called the Corn Ferry Tour. But anyway, this whole process, it's not like the NBA or like the NFL where there's an actual draft day and the players find out whether they made the cut. No, but for Tiger, it was actually pretty simple. So at this point in our story, Tiger has finished his sophomore year at Stanford and he's already played in pro tournaments. So he has the credentials. Yep, plenty of credentials. In fact, in August of 1996, IMG, which represented Tiger, made it official with a phone call to the PGA of America. Their client, Tiger Woods, was turning pro. From Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta, Georgia, USA Sports presents opening round coverage of the Masters. So that brings us to the Masters in 1997, which is Tiger's first major tournament as a professional golfer. But Albert, what should we know about the Masters? Well, so the Masters is the first of the four major PGA tournaments of the year. Mm -hmm. And it's always held on the same course at Augusta National, just outside of Atlanta. And when you're there, it's like stepping back in time. The scoreboards are still manually operated. Reporters still can't bring their cell phones onto the grounds. Augusta National, it represents golf and its history, the good and the bad, including the exclusionary aspect of the sport. Augusta didn't allow Black members until 1990, and it actually didn't even allow women members until 2012. Wow, which is just so insane because that was incredibly recent. Yeah, and so Augusta National, with all its complicated history, it's the backdrop 
for Tiger as he's gunning for his first major tournament win. Right. And at this point, it's 1997, and he is 21 years old. His Sportsman of the Year cover for Sports Illustrated came out a few months earlier, and his GQ cover, with all its embarrassing quotes, is hot off the presses, too. Yeah, so no pressure, Tiger. (laughs) All eyes are on him, and everyone's thinking, Tiger, he's a great story, but can he actually win the tournament? Hundreds of journalists flocked to Augusta to cover the tournament, and, of course, Jaime Diaz was one of them. Jaime, who'd been talking with Tiger and his family for nearly seven years by then, he got a well-earned bird's-eye view. It was great because I, I at that time, had a nice access with, with Tiger and, and his family, and I, I knew where they were staying, and they, I was, like, okay to come over to the house after the rounds, um, during the practice rounds and, and after some of the competitive rounds as well. So Jaime was writing for Sports Illustrated at this point, and during the Masters tournament, he was tasked with basically hanging around Tiger as much as possible. Right, and Jaime's colleague at SI, Rick Riley, would be the one writing the big Masters cover story. But Jaime was on the inside, feeding him information. We used to call it trunky, you know, stay with the guy until he, <laughs> from the time he opens his trunk till he slams his trunk. But I, I was actually beyond that. I was, um, you know, I was actually going to the house too. So, I, you know, I was just doing the groundwork uh, for him, anecdotal stuff. And that was such a big moment uh, in, in golf history that, you know, I felt like I did contribute a lot just because of the uh, proximity I had to Tiger that week. The Woods family invited Jaime to spend time at the house where they were staying. It was fun there. Tiger and his friend were playing video games, which Jaime didn't play. But there was also a setup for table tennis, which Jaime happened to be pretty good at. I had played a lot of ping pong in college, and I wasted a lot, you know, a lot of afternoons playing. A lot of golfers like table tennis because it's similar, you know, the imparting spin on the ball and the whole, you know, feel and touch and shaping shots and all that. So. Tiger liked it too. So it was great. I mean, because he loved to compete and, and we just played ping pong and up in this upstairs room of his house. And, uh, you know, that was a nice way to bond. But Tiger definitely had uh, the sensibilities and the mentality for table tennis. Did he get frustrated? Yeah, he, in, a, in a good way. You know, he just really competitive. It was fun. You know, he, uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of profanity, but in a good natured way, you know, and, uh, I mean, I took it as a compliment, you know, because it was almost this grudging, you know, okay, you're better than me, you know, and it was, it was amazing to, you know, be better at Tiger than something. Albert, I think it's important for our audience to know that you're actually probably better than Jaime and Tiger Woods at table tennis. You, you played in tournaments growing up. Like, you even qualified for the Junior Olympics. <laughs> yeah, well, that was definitely the apex of, you know, my athletic career. <laughs> and it was a very small stretch in my life where I actually maybe was better than Tiger Woods at something. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to golf. Sure. Okay. So, with golf tournaments, what I've learned is that they're four days long. Thursday through Sunday, usually. And you play the whole course each day. Um, Am I missing anything? (laughs) Yeah, no. So it's a 72-hole tournament spread out over four days. So 18 holes a day. 
Mm-hmm. And Tiger's first day at the Masters, it was rough. I read that he kept bogeying. Um, can you explain what a bogey is? Well, you do not want to bogey in golf. <laughs> uh, bogeys are not good. It means you're one shot over par, and par is the number of strokes that a good golfer is required to complete a hole. Mm. So you do not want to bogey. And over his first nine holes on that first day, Tiger actually bogeyed four times. Whoa. Well, if Tiger had nerves that first day, I find that really easy to understand. It was his first major as a professional. Yeah, and plus his dad was recovering from heart surgery, so he couldn't physically be on the course the entire time with Tiger like usual. So Tiger didn't get off to a great start, but he was determined. And he made sure that before he went on to the next nine holes, that his swing was perfect. Butch Harmon, his teacher, was very good at kind of fine-tuning Tiger. And Butch was proud that he kind of got Tiger in a and a really nice groove on his backswing where the, the club wasn't going back very far, but it was just falling into the perfect place where he could just start his downswing with total freedom. And he was just unleashing power that week. He was so confident. Tiger just started turning things around on those last nine holes on that first day. He sank a birdie on the 10th hole, and then he just started making birdie after birdie. <laughs> What's a birdie? <laughs> Birdies are birdies are good. It means you're one shot under par. And all those birdies put Tiger back on track. All right. So we get Friday of the tournament. Day two. What happens? Tiger has a great round on day two. And things really shift on the 13th hole when he takes sole possession of the lead with an eagle. Okay, so we have another bird name. Uh, what's an eagle? <laughs> <laughs> well, an eagle is just an even better version of a birdie. Nice. And it's two shots under par. And then on Saturday, Tiger starts to just blow away the competition. By the end of the day, he's up by nine shots on the entire field. And going into Sunday, the last day of the tournament, everyone's just focused on what is essentially a coronation. There is a new king of golf. Four-year-old Eldrick Woods was beginning a journey to one day be a champion golfer. The fundamentals of youth have transformed into the tiger of tomorrow with a power and grace like the game has never seen before. As you can probably tell from this TV intro, this tournament ended up being all about Tiger Woods. And Tiger was just blowing everyone away. As Jaime explains it, he was the complete package. It was always presumed that, you know, nobody gets it all. Uh, you know, Jack Nicklaus was not a very good wedge player. Lee Trevino couldn't hit the ball very high. He, here was a golfer with power, with accuracy, good with I mean, great with the driver and off the tee, great with the irons, uh, tremendous short game, great putter, and then mentally amazing, uh, you know, just way beyond his years in terms of mental toughness and self-control and, and uh, the ability to be poised under pressure, all those things that usually take years to develop. He had it, and he had it all at once. 
It was not lost on anyone that Tiger's presence at the tournament also had historical significance. Yeah, and remember, Augusta National only admitted their first African-American member seven years prior, in 1990. And what's even crazier is that Augusta also used to require that all caddies be black. And it didn't allow any black golfers to play in the Masters until 1975, when Lee Elder competed in the tournament. Yeah, so for Tiger to be poised to win, it was huge, Jaime says. Just to, just to have African-American uh, uh, background and, and, and excel in golf to that extent, that was turning the, the game uh, on its head a little bit. Golf had been, I would say, been waiting, but there was, it was curious. I mean, so many other sports had, if not dominated, they were you know, predominantly uh, African-American, was the NBA or the NFL. Or, and golf was still, I would say, lily white, but predominantly white. And it was like, well, Gosh, they don't even have the best. You know, there was always the question, are golfers even athletes? You got all these soft white kids who dominate the sport. I mean, how athletic can it be? All the other sports have, you know, guys who are uh, fitting the uh, the modern conception of what a great athlete is. And it was often an African-American. And, and so here was an African-American now excelling. And it was almost like, okay, they finally let one in, <laughs> and he's going to dominate, just like the other sports. And, you know, that may sound crude, but I, I honestly feel like that was kind of the, if not uh, articulated a reaction, it was what people were thinking. And that's what made Tiger such a, you know, intriguing case. Who was this kid? I want to know, because he's going to do something that, you know, history's been waiting for. It felt like the entire world was watching the final day of the tournament. And the TV ratings, they were staggering. Uh, there was an estimated 43 million viewers tuning in, which was by far the biggest audience golf had ever had for any event. And Jaime told us he remembers the last day of the 97 Masters very clearly, including a conversation he had with another golfer in the tournament, Ben Crenshaw. He's very astute observer of the game and knows history intimately and really knows the sort of the epic moments when in the past a player sort of established himself as great. Tiger was out still on the course with like a 10-shot lead with a few holes to go. And he said, it feels like a passing. Um, and he said it sort of poetically and, and you know, with this sort of uh, quiet, sort of breathless voice. And it, it, he was just trying to, I think, communicate that uh, this was a moment where golf changed. So he'll chase Jack Nicklaus, but he follows Jackie Robinson as a man who broke barriers, men who transcended their sport. That's Jim Nance and Ken Venturi talking to viewers at home as Tiger walked toward the final hole and lined up a putt. You know, Jimmy, Tiger Woods has two putts to break the record, which is held by Jack Nicklaus and Ray Floyd. And that's a record. You know, they say records are made to be broken. Well, 18 under, if it ever is broken, I want to tell you who's going to break it. It'll be Tiger Woods. Slow down, ball. Slow down. Tiger looked upset after missing the putt. He lined up the ball again. But now this putt to break the... All-time record at the Masters. I can tell you this, Kenny. 
the depth of this kid's preparation for this stage, for this moment. Well, I know one thing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was here to watch it. I know there's a lot of people feel the same way. I just enjoy watching great golf, and it means so much to see someone like this handle himself this way, and this for the record. There it is, a win for the ages. With that final putt, Tiger Woods became the youngest person and the first and still the only Black American golfer ever to win the Masters. He first hugged Fluff, his caddy, and then walked past the cheering crowd to find his parents. There's his mom and dad. His father, with that bypass operation six weeks ago, unable to be out on the course today, but he was there vicariously, step for step, with his son. Tiger cried as he hugged his parents. And then he was off for his first interview as the Masters champion. The record for the Masters was set 32 years ago by Jack Nicklaus. It was broken today by Tiger Woods. And we extend our sincere congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Also, you're the first African-American to ever win the Masters or a Grand Slam event, the first Asian-American. What does all of this mean to you? It means a lot because, you know, um, Charlie Sifford, Lee Elder, Teddy Rhodes, you know, those guys are the ones who paved the way in order for me to be here. And uh, I thank them because if it wasn't for them, I may not have had the chance to ever play golf. You know, the son of an African-American father to win that tournament just had tremendous sociological significance within sports because sports has a complicated racial uh history as well. I mean, uh, not to say that there were blacks playing golf, obviously, but symbolically to win at the Masters, it just seemed like it almost in a way forcefully liberated golf from, from, from its past. People were happy that this, this young black kid won. There was a reason beyond sports that it was huge to the culture. So, Albert, when you win the Masters, I've learned that you get a cool green jacket and a membership to Augusta National. (laughs) Yeah, and the whole thing isn't official until you slip on the green jacket in a ceremony in the basement of a house called Butler Cabin. And it all feels a little cultish. Very cultish. (laughs) (laughs) Every member of Augusta National has one of those green blazers And there are rules. You can only wear it at the golf club. You can't even take it home. But there is one exception. The latest Masters champion is the one person who gets to wear their green jacket whenever and wherever they want. Well, it's time for the green jacket, Mr. Ford. Last year's winner, Nick Faldo, has won three Masters. And Nick, would you present Tiger with his first green jacket? My pleasure. Tiger, phenomenal performance. Thank you, Nick. Welcome to the... (laughs) The green jacket. Thank you. you 
By the way, it clashes with red turbo. <laughs> Back at the house where the Woods family was staying during the tournament, Jaime Diaz waited with a small group for Tiger to wrap up with the press. Tiger's parents and Nike CEO Phil Knight were there too. Tiger came back and I, I, I couldn't stay, but I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, his, his amazing feet. And uh, yeah. And when he hugged me, I just said, you're so good. I mean, I, I know that sounds so trite, but I, I, what I was trying to convey was it was just like he had, you know, um, opened up this whole new possibility to what a golfer could be. Tiger Woods changed golf that day. But Jaime said something else changed in Tiger. Winning is kind of lonely. I mean, it, it does cause you to have to separate, you know, from uh, close relationships, whatever. you got to choose yourself a lot. I knew he had to keep the world at bay as the world started to close in more. I mean, one of the, you know, it wasn't an unintended consequence, but it was a little bit unanticipated of winning the Masters was Tiger Mania and how it just changed his whole life. And from that moment, after winning the Masters, his private world got smaller and tighter. And it was harder, slightly harder to penetrate. And I didn't have the same kind of access. And I didn't question, but I also knew that that access was going to be more valuable and less available. And I, I had to never take it for granted. Next time on All American. Can we get this straight? What do you call yourself? Do you call yourself African-American? I know you are. Your, your father's half black, quarter Chinese, quarter American Indian, mother's half Thai, quarter Chinese, and quarter white. So you are, that's why you America, son. Yeah. <laughs> you are America. All-American is a production from Stitcher, written, reported, and produced by me, Jordan Bell. Further production and reporting by Albert Chen. Gianna Palmer is our story editor. Our associate producer is Temi Fagbenle. Consulting production by Stephanie Karyuki and Abigail Keel. Our executive producers are Daisy Rosario and Chris Bannon. Casey Holford is our mix engineer, who also wrote our theme music and scored the show. Special thanks to Peter Clowney and our fact-checker, Kelvin Bias. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Thanks. Episode 2, what, whatever. We'll, we'll come up with something, yeah. The coronation. A star is born. Uh, episode 2, what's up? Stitcher. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.